Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. G.K. Chesterton, a great Catholic writer of the 19th century, once said, Ambition is a dysfunctional desire of power and honor. I'll say that again. Ambition is a dysfunctional desire of power and honor. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with both, power and honor. They're good in of themselves. In fact, that's how we describe God. God is all-powerful. Well, what about honor? Honor indicates virtue. It points to something virtuous. Almost every day within our liturgical year, we honor our saints. The saints lived virtuous lives. And so power and honor are good in of themselves. But when they come together for the express purpose of building up an individual's ego, that's when they become corrupt. That's when we see ambition in a negative light. Well, that's exactly what we see in the very beginning of this weekend's gospel. James and John, filled with ambition, approach God, but they approach God in the wrong way. They're demanding positions of power from Jesus. Now remember, the apostles repeatedly mistook Jesus' identity. They believed, yes, he was the Messiah, but the political or the warrior Messiah that would usher in a new government. Remember just a few weeks ago, the apostles were arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. They were jockeying for positions of power in the new government that Jesus was going to create. Well, now it seems like it's getting even worse. James and John ask Jesus if they can sit on his right and his left. Now, in the ancient world, when you were a king, whoever sat on your left or your right were people who wielded a great deal of influence and power. Well, James and John want just that. The first lesson that we can take from this is how not to approach God by demanding things. Where else do we see in the gospel people demanding things from Jesus? How about the story of Mary and Martha? We all know that classic story. Jesus goes over to their house for dinner. He sits down and he starts teaching. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and she takes it all in. Now, Martha, being a good host, is running all about in this frenzied pace of hospitality. Finally, out of sheer frustration, she goes to Jesus and she yells at him, Tell her to help me. Well, it's never good for us to yell at Jesus. And it's never good for us to tell Jesus what to do. Does Jesus become angry with James and John? No. Does he get disappointed or lose patience with his apostles consumed with ambition? Just the opposite. He displays great patience. And he used this as, as a great teaching moment. He says to both of them, Do you realize or know what you are asking? The apostles have no idea what they're asking for. 
Yes, Jesus is the Messiah and King, and not just King of Israel, but King of this entire universe. Yes, he does wear a crown, but it's not of gold. Instead, it's of thorns. He does mount a throne, yes, but it's not of gold or jewels. Instead, it's the cross. And when Jesus is raised up on the cross, then he is glorified by the Father. Jesus' glory is not of this world. Divine glory comes in self-sacrificing love. And see, Jesus is teaching, divine glory is not the same as human glory. Human glory is tainted by sin. And instead, divine glory is always associated with love, self-sacrificing acts of love. Glory for us can only be found in self-sacrificing acts, in serving Christ and others in this world. And we receive God's glory. We are glorified by God when we give ourselves away in service to God and others in this world. And so it begs the question, how does the world define glory in the inflated ego? I think a good example of this is Lance Armstrong. Many of us know who he was. He won countless Tour de France's, maybe five or six in a row, which is unheard of. It's the highest honor of cycling. Now, winning gave him glory, the glory of the world. And we know now he stopped at nothing to attain that glory. Later on now, we realize he cheated and he was stripped of all of his honors. We find in this man the tragedy of a fallen hero. And so how does Jesus define glory? The self-emptying, especially the self-emptying of the ego, offering our lives in service to God and others in this world. When we do that, yes, God glorifies us. Now notice what Jesus also says, the cup I drink, you also shall drink. Here he's referring to his passion and death. Jesus now is telling the apostles and us, we may have to suffer for others in terms of discipleship. Herein lies the second lesson for us. Yes, the hallmark of discipleship is service. We share our prayer, we share our treasure, we share our skills and abilities with others in this world. And in the midst of that service, we may be required to suffer for other people, to bear their burdens. In the true imitation of Jesus Christ, who suffered for us. Now we may have to suffer for others in this world. Now this may make us feel a little uneasy to suffer for others, but I think in the gospel, Jesus is preparing the apostles and now us for just that thing. Now why? Well, when you look at Jesus on the cross, you see both suffering and love united in the most powerful way. And in doing so, Jesus is glorified by the Father. Therefore, the consequence of our acts of serving others is that we may be required to also suffer for others in this world. Should this surprise us? No. From the very moment of our baptism, we began to participate in a life with Christ. Our life was joined with Christ, never to be separated for all of eternity. And so there are times when we have to enter into the suffering of others and alleviate that ever so slightly. In fact, I would argue many of us have already done just that and haven't realized it. I'll give you a basic example. An adult 
son or daughter that cares for their parent that is elderly and sick. Now, they care for that elderly parent 24 hours a day, especially through the night. They don't get any sleep at all caring for that parent. It's motivated always by love. Now, the parent throughout the night wakes up and they see their son or their daughter sitting at their bedside. And in doing so, they are comforted by that presence. Therefore, the parent now, their suffering is ever so alleviated because the son or the daughter has now entered into that parent's suffering. The son or the daughter now bears the suffering of their parent. And in doing so, the parent now, the suffering of their illness is alleviated ever so slightly. You know, there's that great story of St. Francis. Before his conversion, he had a great revulsion to leprosy. In fact, when he saw a leper, he would immediately turn around and run in the opposite direction because he was so afraid of catching the disease of leprosy. Well, after his conversion, one day, as he was traveling down a road, he saw a leper approaching him in the far distance. Suddenly, all those fears rose up within him. His first instinct was to turn and run. Instead, Francis walked over and embraced the leper, even kissed him, and then walked away, filled with joy. Francis entered into the suffering of that leopard, and in doing so, he ever so slightly alleviated some of the pain that that leper suffered from. And so there are times in which we have to enter into the suffering of others, motivated by love. Now, I think people in our parish already do just that. I'll give you one example. People that bring communion to those that are in nursing homes and hospitals, those people suffer from loneliness and poor health. Well, when a person comes to visit them and brings them communion, they visit with them, but they also enter into that person's suffering. And in doing so, just by their sheer presence, they ever so slightly alleviate some of that suffering that that person in the nursing home or the hospital experiences. Or maybe you have a friend, a co-worker, or a neighbor that has problems in life. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they lost a loved one. You know exactly what they're thinking and feeling because you have gone through the same thing yourself. So what do you do? You call them up or you go and visit them. Most of the time, when we have problems, one thing that we want is for someone to just sit there and listen to us. And when someone listens to us, they legitimize our problems. They help us acknowledge the problems that we have are real and serious. And so just by being present to that person and listening to them, you enter into the suffering of that person and ever so slightly alleviate that suffering. Well, I think that gets to the very heart of the message for this weekend. Yes, discipleship is about serving, serving God and others in this world, you know, through stewardship, sharing our prayers, our treasure, our skills and abilities. But there's also a willingness to enter into the suffering of others. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. We must do just that. Seek out those opportunities to ever so slightly alleviate a person's suffering. And in doing so, we become a source of comfort for those people. And may the grace and the peace 
of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.